getting back up to that first tip. Uh, it's uh, not if it's collapsed too far, but uh, it's adequate to get back up. Right, do we copy? It's a pretty good little jump. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Welcome to Church in the Wild. Let's give it up for the worship team. That was awesome. Man, great to be with you all today. Brand new year. New year, new you, right? Man, I'm excited for this new year. Uh, 2022 is gone. It's in the past, right? That's, it's done. All the bad that came with it is, is gone. It's a new year. God does new things. His mercies are new every morning. He said, behold, I do a new thing in you. And I am so excited. I'm fired up to preach. I've had like two Sundays off, so I got like eight hours worth of content that I'm going to just vomit out on you guys today. So lucky you, you picked the Sunday where I have so much content, right? Uh, man, I'm excited. I I'm really excited for this series. I'm excited for the new year. I think it's going to be an incredible year. I think God has a lot that he's going to do this year. Um, I do want to say thank you all who prayed for my brother. Uh, my brother is, is uh, doing very well. He's back to being as strong and as stubborn as an ox. Uh, he is back to his old self. He's doing really well out of the hospital, at his house, doing great. Uh, was able to spend New Year's with him. And um, I don't know if your house is like this, but uh, he, I knew he was doing better when he started telling me everything he would do if he were the head coaches of those college football teams that were playing on New Year's Eve. I'm like, oh yeah, you're doing better. You're better for sure. And then um, some of you might know this. We, we took our, our daughter to the hospital this morning and uh, she is doing well. Um, my wife texted me right before the service. It, uh, she has a just really nasty case of strep throat. And um, for, for us, that was a huge relief because her fever went up so fast, so quickly this morning that we kind of had to rush her to the hospital. And so some of you were praying for her. So thank you for that. Uh, as I said, it is a, a brand new year, and I can't think of a better way to start it off than with one of my favorite books of the Bible, Nehemiah. So uh, we're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter one. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. It is the first book that I remember as a kid in Sunday school. I don't know, how many of y'all had Sunday school? Did you used to have Sunday school? Okay, yeah. In Sunday school, uh, it's the first book that I remember hearing and reading uh, with our Sunday school teacher, my Uncle Chuck, and uh, or my Uncle Butch that was, and um, hearing him talk about it, and I was like, this book makes sense to me as a kid. It's the first book that I ever preached from. Uh, my first sermon was out of Nehemiah, and I think it was have a mind to work. I think I was nine years old and preached uh, to all the adults of the church on how to have a mind to work. I'm sure they really valued what I had to say, right? Um, it was one of the first uh, books that I, I studied on my own and just did as a devotional. And um, this is actually the first time as a pastor that I'm ever going to preach from it. So I'm super excited. Nehemiah chapter one, the words, verse one, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, which is an awesome name, Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of the brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept 
and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is going to go on this, this lengthy prayer. We're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 8. You are more than welcome to continue to read the entire prayer, but I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, God, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants. They are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servant who delight to fear, to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he just throws on this little part at the end. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is such an interesting passage of the Bible, and I think it's very timely, and I think it's very relevant as, as we launch into this new series called 3-2-1 Step. I think it's a very important message for us. Nehemiah is, at this point in his life, a slave. He is cupbearer to the king of the people who have enslaved him and all of his family. We don't know much else about him except for that, and, and we know that at this time, Jerusalem is destroyed. Its walls are knocked down, its gates are burned, the people are in trouble. The more you read in, in Nehemiah, the more trouble you realize they are in because everyone around them is coming in and they are just doing whatever they want in Jerusalem, taking whatever they want and leaving. And Nehemiah begins to get this vision of what God could do in Jerusalem. He begins to get this vision of, hey, this is what God can do. God can rebuild the walls. God can rebuild the temple. God can rebuild the gates. God can rebuild the city. And this vision, I believe, comes from God. And his vision comes from a place of care for others. And this is really important. I think that this is super important. Vision comes from God, and it comes from a place of care for others. How do we know Nehemiah cared for others? Well, he asked about them. He asked about them. Nehemiah chapter 1, like we just read, he says that he, I asked concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. When you care about someone or something, you ask questions. Isn't this true that while you're dating, what do you do? You sit down Maybe you go to like North Star Cafe because it's the best restaurant, or maybe you go to Fox in the Snow uh, because it's got the best coffee, or maybe, maybe you have Dustin or Crystal cook you a meal because they're better than any restaurant there is in Columbus anyways, right? Or maybe you go to someone, you sit down with that person, and what do you do? You begin to ask them questions. Why? Because you care. What do you do when you see someone you love that you haven't seen for a long time? You ask them questions. You know you care about someone when you instantly begin to ask, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? What's happening with you? This is, I think, a good lesson for all of us husbands. Don't stop asking questions once she walks down the aisle. Don't stop caring. Don't stop asking questions once you're like, I got her. I don't need to care. That's when you need to begin to care. Nehemiah cares and he asks questions, and so his vision is, comes from God, and it's born out of this place of, man, I care about my people, and I want them to be blessed, and I want to help them. 
We also have a vision from God at Church in the Wild. It's something that we are unveiling today. You saw the little video. It is uh, called Doors and Disciples. We're taking three steps over two years because we have one big vision. One of the areas that we, we're, we have a vision for is taking a step into the door of the future. Why? Because we care about families at Church in the Wild. We care about you. We care about your, your marriages. We care about your relationships. We care about your in-laws. We care about your siblings. We care about your children. We are committed to building our church from the nursery up. What does that mean? That means if we have two nice rooms and one of them's nicer, it's going to go to the nursery because we're going to build from the nursery up because families need help today because you are under attack today like never before. So we are committed to doing everything that we can to equip your family. So some of the things that we currently do is we do marriage counseling. We have a marriage book that will be coming out in this spring. Uh, we have marriage counselors that are outside of church in the wild. So if you don't want to talk to me about some stuff, you're like, hey, this might be a bit too much. I might talk to you for a bit and then say, hey, this is too much for me. I can't help you the way that I want to. So we pay for counselors to help you. This is something that we're committed to doing. And this is hard to do because it costs us and it requires that we have the humility to say, we know someone who can help you more than I can. We, we are committed to this though. So we release devotionals. We have kids church. We have student ministry. We have wildlife groups. We have different ministries, men's, women's, moms, teens, uh, students. We have safety training for volunteers. We have family days and family events because we care about you and your family because God gave us a vision for families. This is newer to us. This was not how it always was. Uh, before COVID, we didn't have this big idea of pouring into families. We said, you know what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look, we're going to help anyone. And then God began to focus it during COVID because we began to realize how much pressure moms and dads and husbands and wives were under. We began to look around and say, man, there is no one more marginalized, no one more, more attacked than mom today. That's just how it goes than the wife today or the husband today. You're under attack and often you don't even realize it. But society tells you if you're a dad, all you can do is be obese and tell inappropriate jokes with your friends who are all pervs and drunks. That's what culture tells you you have to be to be a dad in America. And that is not the case. You can be more than that. And so we want to help at Church in the Wild. God gave us this vision and it rose from a place of care. We see what is happening around us, and we want to do everything that we can to help your marriage, your family, your students, and the people you know and you love. We care about that. So forgive us, sometimes we ask a lot of questions about that because we care, because we want to do everything that we possibly can do. But then I want to point out to you that God's vision is fueled by generosity. God's vision is fueled by generosity. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, they make a great truck. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence before. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid he should be. 
And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I, I love this because, man, you're a slave in an, in an enemy territory, and you're supposed to be a positive person, and the, the one person who can just end your life with a snap of the fingers, you walk in, and you're sad in front of, and so he's scared, and he's like, God, you got to help me with this. And it's so interesting to me that he takes like a little step here. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen was sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So he takes this step. This is so interesting to me. He takes a step in going to the king sad. He takes a step in praying to God. Then he takes a step in asking to be allowed to go home and to rebuild. Then it says in verse 7, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gate of the fortress of the temple, for the walls of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So pick this up real quickly with me. Nehemiah has this vision from God. His vision is to rebuild Jerusalem, and he knows he can't do it all in one day. He goes to the king. He's willing to take a step of faith and say to the king, hey, I, I, I want you to help me rebuild it. And the king says, okay. And then he takes another step right then. And he's like, and by the way, can you send this letter to this guy and this letter to this guy? Can you do this? Can you do this? He has a whole strategy and the, he's concerned for people. He gets a vision to help them. The king hears it. And then the king gives generously and the vision begins to grow. God uses our generosity to further his mission. Now, we can talk about generosity in a lot of areas of life, and we'll get to them in a minute, but how does he do that here at Church in the Wild? He does this at Church in the Wild through different groups of people. There are occasional givers. These are people who say, you know what, I give whenever I feel like giving. Like if there's a moment where I'm like, oh, that was a good sermon, I'm gonna give some money to that sermon. There are frequent givers. They're, these are people who they give, but we would not consider that they tithe. What that means is that uh, someone who gives but doesn't tithe is like they give, but it's not the first 10% of their finances. And then we have what we, we call tithers. These are people who give the first 10% of everything they bring in to God. Then there are generous givers who give above what God asks. This king here, he gives generously. He gives above what Nehemiah asked for, as you'll see through the rest of the story. But this brings up a giant myth about generosity. This, there is one huge myth when it comes to generosity, and it's this, that only kings can be generous. Only kings can be generous. This is an idea that we see in our culture all around us, and we don't even realize that, that it causes us to think the way we think. Because whenever we, we see celebrities or rulers or rich people, we say, those people need to be generous. I can't because I'm not them, but those people need to be. Well, those people are looking at other people saying, those people need to be generous, and I can't because I'm not them. 
But in the book of Nehemiah and in the book of Ezra, the following people are mentioned. There's the king who we just talked about who is generous. He is a king. He has every ability and right to be generous. But there's also Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a slave. Nehemiah is a slave. And yet Nehemiah chapter 5 holds an entire passage dedicated just to his personal generosity. Which is so interesting because if you think about it, the way I would probably look at it is like I'm being generous by running this show. I don't have to be generous financially as well. But Nehemiah 5 is like this entire passage that shows that Nehemiah not only ran the show, he was a slave who also was generous. Then we have a group of people called the priests. These are religious leaders. And we have another group of people called the leaders of the households of Israel. These are leaders in a country that's oppressed by another country and heavily taxed. Then there's another group of people called the people. Nameless, unknown slaves. And every one mentioned in the entire book of Nehemiah is generous. The king and the commoner, the priest and the slave, the rulers and the servants, every one of them is. They all give generously. Why? Because generosity is about who we are, not about what we have. Generosity is about saying to yourself, I am a generous person. And I'm making that commitment to be a generous person regardless of circumstances and situations or the things that happen around me. So a generous person says, it doesn't matter to me that the mom of three who is the waitress was rude to me and didn't get my steak quite right while other people around the world can't eat anything and I have a steak and she didn't get it quite right and she has three children and she's a single mom. It doesn't matter to me if she didn't get it quite right. I'm still gonna generously tip her because generosity is about who I am, not about what I have. Generosity says, hey, if we go to a good coffee place, I'm not going to refuse to tip. You know, they, they flip the thing towards you now. Like they, they, you put your card in, they flip it towards you, and then they try to look away. So it's not like, so they're not making eye contact with you while you just hit no, <laughs> you know, like whatever. Generosity says it's not about how good the coffee is. It is about the fact that I am a generous human being because that's who I am. My wife and I have decided to try to live this way. It's not always easy. Sometimes you don't want to be generous. It's a holiday season, right? Both of my vehicles broke. My brother went to the hospital and my daughter did. And my dog now has to go to the vet. It's not always easy. But generosity is not about what we have or do not have. Generosity is about who we are as people. And who are we as people? We're the children of a generous king. See, generosity says this. It says, I can be generous to other people because I know that my king is a good king and he gives to me abundantly above all that I ask, seek, or imagine. So if I put my faith in him and I trust him to take care of me, I can then live the way that God has called me to live because I know who he is. The end of the day, generosity is just about showing that God can do more with our less than we can with our more. That's what generosity is really about. 
It's about saying, I'm going to be generous with compliments. I'm going to be generous with my time. I'm going to be generous with my talents. I'm going to be generous with my, my finances to anyone and everyone in need, whether they ever deserve it or not. I'm going to be generous to them because I know that when I give things away, God who's in heaven blesses abundantly above what I can ask or imagine, and he gives more to me. And so I know that if I have less, he will do more with that than I can by controlling it to myself and saying, no, this is mine. I will take care of this. Refusing to be generous is a little bit like, like this. It's a little bit like, um, let's, say, um, let's say Jet comes up to me and he's like, hey, dude, I got $500 for you today. And he's like, I, I just... Felt like giving this to someone because I got so much money, you know? Like, I just, I'm low, so I'm just going to give you. And then he gives it to me. And then the next week he comes up and he's like, hey, dude, do you have 10 bucks for a cup of coffee? And I'm like, no, this is my money. I don't have that. Not for you. Because you're not going to buy coffee. You're going to buy Mountain Dew. I know what you're up to. That's a little bit what it's like to refuse to be generous to a God who gives us Everything. Everything. There's an argument against this. It's a common argument. And it says, okay, that whole story is in the Old Testament. But I believe in the New Testament, which is fine. You can, you can make that argument. But I want to show you Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. This is Jesus. He sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. This is interesting because the Bible on purpose puts the word offering box because this is implying that the people who are giving the offering have already given their tithes. This is what the offering box is. It's not like a, a part where they all come in and present their tithes to the priest. This is on top of that. Many rich people came and put in large sums. Awesome. Very good. That's great. And a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which make one penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she even had to live on. This is generosity. She is demonstrating that generosity is not limited to what we have. It is about who we are as humans. It is about who we are as children of a generous king. When we become generous, people see our vision and our mission, and it begins to grow, and then God begins to bless us. And we say, well, look, that's great. I'm not there, and that's fine. Honestly, that's fine. So I, I'm not her. I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not there. What I'm going to ask you to do as we, as we go into this series is just consider Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. What I'm going to ask you to do through this series is, is to take a step, to make a choice, to begin to pray about someone who takes a step towards generosity to those around you. Why? Because in that video we played before the sermon, we heard Neil Armstrong say, that's one small step for man, but it's one giant leap for mankind. And here's what I found in life. When I am willing to take a step, our church can also take a step. 
There are things that I want our church to be able to do. There are things that I dream about our church doing. There are things that I dream about Westerville accomplishing. There are things that I dream about our city doing. There are things that I dream about the church, like all of the church, the kingdom of God accomplishing. And I realize that if I'm willing to take a step like Nehemiah was, then that can begin to happen. There's a Chinese philosopher who said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. When the king is generous, God begins to give a generous vision. The generous vision becomes fueled by others until it becomes accomplished, and Nehemiah records a group of slaves rebuilding an entire city because Nehemiah took a step and he asked an evil king to rebuild his temple so that he could help his people. Here's the entire point of this message. We have a good king who is a generous king. He's not an evil king who puts people in slavery. He's not an evil king who rips families apart and divides them and says, you're coming with me, but you're dying and you're going here and you're not. God says, I am a good king. He is our king and he is good. And so when we go to him and say to him, God, I want to be all that you have called me to be. Can you help me? You have a generous king who says, not only will I help you, I will do so much more than you ever thought or imagined. I will pour blessings. The Bible says God pours blessings upon people. He presses them down. He shakes them. He pushes them together. And then he pours so much more blessings on top of that that they run over. Our king is. Nehemiah goes to an evil king. Honestly, he does a really nice, good thing here. But in reality, Nehemiah's king is a bad human. We would cancel him in our culture. And yet, Nehemiah says, okay, well, I can't rebuild a city by myself. So I'll just take a step and I'll go to the king and I'll let him know that I'm not happy. And then Nehemiah says, well, I can't rebuild a city by myself, but I'll take a step and I'll let him know that I would like him to help me. And I can't rebuild the entire temple, but I'll take a step and I'll let him know some ways that he could do that. And I can't rebuild all the houses. I can't put back up the gate, but I'll take a step and I'll go tour the city. And God begins to grow the vision. He begins to grow the mission and they rebuild an entire city. The Bible says that all the older gentlemen who were there watching them lay the foundation of the temple later begin to weep for joy. All because one man took one step. So I'm gonna ask you all to stand to your feet today. I have never talked about finances before. I think I did it one other time in the history of all of my preaching, and I think I've preached over 10,000 sermons by this point. I'm not comfortable talking about it. I don't love discussing it. But I think that God has a pretty good plan for us as a church, you as an individual, so that he can bless you. When we bless others, God blesses us. And I was reminded this week by a pastor, I went to see him and I was like, hey, I promised God that I would do this and now I'm not going to. I'm just not going to do it. I don't want to talk about money because I know how it goes. I've seen the guys on YouTube that everybody says, that guy talks about money. I'm not going to do it. And he was like, listen, dude, just take a step. Just take a step. Just throw it out there. 
So here we are. It's a brand new year. I think God's got a really good plan that we're going to unveil over the next three Sundays following this one of everything that God is trying to do. And I think that if we're willing to take a step, I think God will too. And I think our church can too. So I'm going to ask you all to do, I'm going to ask worship team to come up. I'm going to ask them all to sing. We're going to do another song. I'm going to come down front. I'm going to pray with anyone who wants to pray. Like, look, you don't have to pray with me about money. You ain't got to pray with me about giving. You ain't got to pray with me about any of that. You just got something to pray about. Like, hey, look, I got a person in my life who's sick. Whatever it is, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to pray. We're going to have a video and then the service will be done. But I'm going to ask you all right now to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just for a minute. Ask yourself, who do you care about? What do you care about? What matters to you? Well, hey, church, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us today. You matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. Whether this is your first time or you've been with us since we launched or even before then, we're so excited that you chose to worship with us today and start the new year off strong. Speaking of starting off strong, I want to help you start the year off strong by helping you to take an actionable step that went with today's message. Today's message, we talked a lot about giving. And so if you're interested in praying about and thinking about, you know what, maybe today's the first time that you give to Church in the Wild. Maybe today is the day that you choose to go from being someone who, this is an... Well, hey, church, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us today. Whether this is your first time or you've been with us since we launched. You... Thank you for joining us today, church. So good to see you all here in the new year and just to be able to worship with you. Before we go, we'd like to say these verses over you, which is Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember, church, you matter, Jesus matters, grace matters, and details matter. Have an amazing rest of your week.